0: Is it done yet? Is it done yet? (laughs) I never want to jump in. I love that trailer there. Hey, welcome to all of you who found your way here on a holiday weekend. Um, If we haven't met personally yet, I know that we have. We do have a lot of visitors here today. But my name is Allison. Um, I am an associate pastor here, which just means I do a junk drawer. Type of job description. But back in the day, um, I was the care pastor here and I thought it was funny that I got assigned this passage to preach on this morning because I thought I still care. I still care. I'm still a care pastor at heart. So we'll see if you can catch on to that as as we go through our next section in Mark. So this is going to be um, a continuation of a series that we've been going through already, which is the life and way of Jesus. And then we're going to take a break and uh, do some Advent work, like some Christmas. Christmas is around the corner, if you haven't noticed yet. So um, this will be kind of... Uh, the end of Mark for a time and then we'll pick it up later. But today we're in Mark chapter 6 verse 30 starting at verse 30 if you want to follow along in your Bibles and uh, this is called the feeding of the 5,000. Anybody ever hear of that before? (laughs) I know that so many of you actually feel like you fed 5,000 over the weekend so it's very relatable. The kitchen uh, still has your dishes in the sink, I'm sure. Uh, So we have the feeding of the 5k. Jesus does a 5k is another way to look at it. Um, Another way to celebrate a holiday. But the context here, for, for those of you who don't know, there are four gospels that are narratives of Jesus's life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of those gospel writers have included two miracles in their writings. The other other miracles happen, but not all four of them record it. So this is one of two that are recorded in every gospel. So can you think of what the other miracle would be that all four gospel writers described? Yes, the resurrection. That was my husband though. So I don't know. I don't know if that counts. He probably was in my notes. So anyhow, just kidding. Just kidding. So um, yes, so this is a very big deal. The feeding of the 5,000 is a very big deal because all four gospel writers talk about it. So the context coming up into Mark 6 verse 30 is that the uh, the interns, also known as the disciples, <laughs> were coming back from their very first mission trip. Jesus had sent them out two by two. They all went out into the region, preaching, healing, casting out demons, your typical <laughs> intern work. Um, and then they're coming back to Jesus and reporting in on how it all went down. They're telling him stories about it. They're sharing their their. Well, we used to call them peaches and pits or happies and crappies, whatever way you look at it. But they're probably telling Jesus all about the different things that they did on their mission trip. And he's listening to them. And, you know, just like any kid coming home from camp, they're super buzzed at the beginning. They're super excited. And then they get tired. And Jesus has some compassion on on them. So we're going to open up with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming in and out, it's just a busy place there. They didn't even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I used to work in youth ministry, and so I think about the camp bus on the way home from camp and how those tired teenagers would pull their caps low, and they would pull the strings of their hoodie really small, <laughs> and they would, they would be out. They would sleep instantly. So I picture our little, inter- our little disciples doing that here on the boat. They're exhausted. But then there's a plot twist in 33. But many who were on the shore and in the area, who saw them leaving, recognized them, the disciples. And these people all ran on foot from the towns and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The villages are emptying out, because word of these disciples has already spread. They had been healing. They had been casting out demons and doing good work in Jesus' name. And so all the cousins and the aunts and the neighborhoods, the next door app is lighting up, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, those guys that did all those things, they're in town. Let's go see them. Let's go see them. I think so many of them are holding hope that Jesus and the disciples have something for them today. There's Mike with the cancer. There's Jeff, who's out of work. There's Clara, who's raising four kids on her own. There's David, worried for his children who seem lost. There's Kevin, the hardworking winemaker. And in the back is Marie, mourning the death of her brother. All in all, there are 5,000 people there, each with their own name, their own stories, and their own need, which is why they're following after Jesus, right? (laughs) They're anxious for him to land the boat. And Jesus looks out at them and says, I feel like you guys are sheep without a shepherd. Despite the fatigue of the disciples, Jesus is moved to compassion as he looks at this crowd. The (laughs) The Greek word for compassion here is something I can't even take a shot at pronouncing. It was like spinglespiel, or like, I don't know. It sounded like a disease, actually, the way that I, spinglenosomai. That sounds like something I'd need taken out, but it's used to to define compassion, the kind of compassion that comes deep within, and it moves you into action. Um, Christ himself used that word, that word for compassion, when he described how the father felt when his prodigal son came back, that he had been moved with compassion. And Jesus also used that when he was describing the Samaritan who saw an injured man on the roadside, that he was moved with compassion. And almost every healing miracle that is described that Jesus did, this compassion came first. It came before the miracle. So... Jesus knows these stories, and instead of just seeing a massive crowd who's distracting him or just interrupting him, he's moved with compassion to see their need. He knows their names. He knows their needs. The text goes on. So when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He taught them. He taught them in their need. I found that interesting. Uh, it captivated me this month as I was studying the passage. Because Mark doesn't talk about what he actually taught. It wasn't like a, like the Sermon on the Mount where you hear the transcript. Mark just says that he taught and taught and taught like for hours and hours and hours all day. But I think about that. My imagination is captivated because I think, if Jesus saw all these needs, did he like... <laughs> customize the message maybe a little bit? Did he say, like, blessed are those who mourn, Renee, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, Gretchen, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Dino, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, Margie, for they will see God. Did he, like, customize it like that? Did he encourage them to not give up on hope? Did he challenge them to give to the needy? Did he say, let your light so shine before others so they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven? Did he call out hate and adultery? Maybe. (laughs) But also, I think he told kingdom stories Stories of God's love. Maybe he told the, lo- the one about the lost son returning to his father. However it went down, we know that first, Jesus compassionately met spiritual needs. In time, though, tummies rumble. <laughs> it goes on says, by the says, by this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came and said, hey, this is a remote place. It's super late. Send the people away, let them go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and let them buy themselves something to eat. I love how these disciples, these little interns, have a plan. It's like a college freshman coming home for Thanksgiving, right? They're so smart. They're so smart. (laughs) They know a lot at this point. They're like, hey, we saw a need. I've developed a plan, Jesus. Can you sign off on this? And like, this is going to be the way it goes. But he... The disciples do not get the A plus here on the assignment because this is what Jesus's response was. He said, "You give them something to eat. You do it, <laughs> right, front row. You do it." And Arbor, I got to tell you, this stopped me in my tracks as I was studying this passage. I try to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit might be like teaching me and then teaching us as a church. And this little you do it passage just kind of made me stop to think. If we as a church want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did. I think about these disciples. They were with Jesus, right? They had like daily close apprenticeship, many hours logged together. And they even had just come back from supernaturally ministering in the spirit, right? And they had done amazing things. And yet their plan to meet needs came up short and missed the mark. It made me think that maybe in ministry, recognizing need is just the beginning. Merely making a plan and presenting it to Jesus to ask for his sign off is problematic. Especially if the plan is devoid of compassion. Especially if the plan removes any sacrifice on our part. You're basically saying, Jesus, I see a need. Can you do that? Can you do something about that? You. And he says, you do it. He's not going to let them off the hook with an easy, non-sacrificial business transaction. If we want to become like Jesus and do what he did, we will recognize needs. But to meet needs like Jesus, we need to do that with compassion that moves us into action. Whatever that word was, the me. it was the compassion that moves the father to the prodigal, Samaritan to the injured, compassion moving Christ to heal the sick. And today he's going to have his disciples do it too you do it he says to them okay so back to the story the disciples were stunned not happily stunned they were they were bummed by this response they said to him that is going to take more than a half a year's wages are we to go on and spend that much on bread and give that to them to eat the need is too big. It's too expensive. We can't spend a whole half year's wages on feeding this crowd tonight. And as a as a matter of reflection, I, I went to find out what is Woodenville's like, what is their yearly income? So what would be half? I'm trying to relate to the disciples here. It would be $63,000 is basically what it would cost to pull off this ministry need. And so I, I can relate to that shock. That's basically what our budget is. <laughs> here at Arbor for one month. Uh, so the disciples push back really hard with excuses. And it seems hard from here to discern if they have any compassion or any faith that Jesus is, is able to make this thing happen. Why is this section challenging? <laughs> it's because Jesus invites his disciples into need-meeting partnership with him. It would be a lot easier if he would just do it himself, right? (laughs) But he invites the disciples, us, into need-meeting partnership with him. I am his disciple. He does not exempt me personally from meeting needs. He does not exempt us as a church from meeting needs. I find myself sometimes making excuses, though. The need is too big, it's too expensive, it requires too much. I don't have that much to give. But I have found that my heart is not at peace when I look away from other people's needs. And I feel like collectively as a church, for us to look away, over time that is going to harden our hearts if we continue to look away. Our heart, collectively or individually, is not at peace when we make plans and ask for Jesus to sign off of them without any sacrifice on our part. A plan that doesn't require our time, a plan doesn't, that doesn't require muscle, guts, or brains, the plan does, that doesn't require generosity, our caring, or our getting hands dirty. We know that Jesus meets spiritual needs. That was first. But he also cares about physical needs, like hunger. Here's how this looks in the rest of the story. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. He's saying, what is in your basket? What have you got to give? When they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups of, of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also distributed the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. This is a miracle of supernatural provision, is it not? But you know what? Jesus did not conjure up the loaves and fish by himself. Somebody out there had loaves and fish and gave all that they had to Jesus for his use. Nobody there thought five loaves and two fish was a sufficient supply. No one thought this was a good plan, right? You look at it and you're like, it's small. (laughs) It's not going to feed all these people. But it's what they had, so that's what they gave. And in the hands of Jesus, with his blessing, he is able to make the very little enough. I've been thinking lately about the last few years as it relates to compassion and generosity and giving and, and helping. And I want to tell you a, a story about a miracle happened here. <laughs> it's the miracle of the soup freezer. Uh, years ago, when Arbor was a baby, a newborn baby, Cami Axtell came and had a vision for a freezer meal ministry. And so she got together with some folks who chopped and whisked and baked and made these great meals, stuck them in the freezer, and over time we handed them out to people who had lost jobs, who had terrible diagnoses that day, who had personal crises, who were ill, and we ministered in that way until the supply ran low and then last year Faith and Kelly worked together with another group of people to refill and restock that freezer. I am telling you, every time I go in there to pull something out, there's there's something there. It's like white bean chicken chili, <laughs> chicken tortilla soup, all these wonderful things and after like spiritually meeting a need, like sitting down to counsel and comfort somebody, it feels really good to be able to also say like, hey, could I give you dinner tonight? And to pull into the freezer and, and give that to them. It has been like fishes and loaves because I'm telling you, we have not run low. We have not run out. I, John and I actually even, I ate, an, I brought home an expired soup for, for us for Christmas Eve last year. We were working here at Arbor during the day and then I pulled out like the, from the magic freezer. It, it was expired, but we're okay. We're still here. Anyhow. <laughs> but you know what? The f- soup freezer is empty right now. And that worried me. This worries me. I worry because I wonder, is compassion fatigue a thing? And is it the reason why our food bank shelves are bare? Are our hearts growing cold and we're losing warmth for others? I worry about the entitlement of our culture here in Woodenville. I wonder how it impacts us as a church. I worry that we overcorrected in a pandemic And we went into more self-preservation mode. I worry about becoming disciples who just want easy sign off on things, non-sacrificial giving. Why would this worry me? St. Augustine says it this way, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. So if Arbor is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did, we love more, more. As the Holy Spirit works good and godly fruit in our lives, love should be the first thing that shows up. And arguably, it's the, thing, it's the wellspring from which all the other fruit comes. We should be seeing compassion as a result. Our freezer should be full, so to speak. But God, in his kindness, knows the worries of my heart. And he allowed me to see a couple things recently that were very encouraging, very encouraging. A couple of weeks ago, Grief Share opened their doors for a holiday grief workshop. And during that time, we invited people from divorce care to come and people from our neighboring community as well. So we all showed up. We shared hearts. We spent time in the circle. We talked about the holidays that were upcoming. And a lot of people were saying, like, I don't have a place to go. It looks like a lonely, sad holiday for me this year. I get home, a couple hours later, I get pinged by Renee. Whoops, not Renee, mixed the name, Claire. Claire had been there in the circle and she had seen Renee and seen Renee's loneliness. And Claire pinged me and said, hey, I'm wondering, can we get a place for Renee for Thanksgiving? Um, I don't want her to be alone. And then she also said, Does Arbor have a group or people who will visit widows and people who can't leave their home? I would like to do that. Amidst her own season of pain, what is in Claire's basket? What does she have to work with? She has compassion for seniors in hard places, compassion that is moving her into action. The second story happened just the next morning. At my small group, I meet with a lot of, um, I don't know, they all seem like 30 to me, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably because I'm so ancient, but all the 30-year-olds are sitting there, and they are young moms, and we were talking about serving, and they were we were acknowledging how hard it is to be a young parent and know that Arbor Kids needs volunteers. They were saying, like, the thing that we all know is that it's a really hard season to want to serve in it with kids when you've been serving kids all week. Like, we all understand that, right? But then one of my uh, people in the group said this. Even though it may be hard to serve with kids at this stage, I don't feel like we should be let off the hook that easy. We have a lot to offer the church. I was like, boom. <laughs> Mic drop. These stories encourage me. God's spirit is still moving and working here and drawing us with compassion into service. I have a couple questions as we close up today, though. Could Jesus have fed the crowd without the fish and loaves? Could he have fed the crowd without the disciples? Yes, because he's God, right? But I know one thing for sure. The disciples could not have fed the crowd without Jesus. Without God, we cannot. Without, God, without us, God will not. Jesus, for whatever reason, he, he knows, he alone knows. He chooses the disciples for miracles in this world. He chooses the church let this be a reminder for all of us the life he's called us to and the ministry that he has for us requires supernatural strength for this in the holy spirit that is indwelling us it is possible to do these miraculous things of meeting needs he says you do it what have you got what is in your basket and the same compassion he gave us first, because remember, first, he met the disciples' need, right? Before he asked them to then serve this whole crowd, he gave them compassion as well. We are likewise called and equipped to pour out on others. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion It's the compassion that moves you to action. You do it. When you see a need, you do it. What is in your basket? What have you got to work with? Whatever that is given wholly into Jesus' hand, with his blessing, miracles will happen. As we close today, I want to be bold in my invitation to you right now. As a church, we want to partner together with Christ and meet the needs around us. One way to do that is with our fishes and loaves soup freezer. (laughs) So I have containers over there for you to take home. Even today, you could be like, you know what? I could double a batch of soup. I make soup once a week for my family. I might as well double it one time, stick it there, and bring it back and stick it in the freezer. I will um, give you directions for that, uh, if that's something that you would like to do. I wanted you guys to hold on to your connection cards today, though, because I wanted you to indicate if there was any movement in your own spirit that you would be willing to look into your basket and see what you had. Maybe you're not like a chef. Maybe soup is not on your repertoire, and you're like, that's done. I have other th- other ideas for you, though. <laughs> if you're scorning that one, man, I got other ideas for you. Um, I have listed some of those opportunities on our app. So if you want to, download that app and look for the fishes and loaves um, activity. I don't even know what you call it. Button to push. <laughs> uh, it will It will spell out a few ways we're looking for for help this Christmas season. Um, If you mark on your connection card a little fish symbol at the top, I will email you and connect with you, and we can open up a conversation about how that looks this Christmas season. Doesn't have to be soup, but I have some other ideas for you. So with that, the ushers are going to come forward. You can mark your card. And here's the thing, just for dignity's sake, how about we'll all stick a card in? You don't have to put a fish on it, though. But like, let's all put, Mike, Mike says that that helps him not have to clean up all the cards that are left behind. <laughs> so you don't even have to put a thing on it. <laughs> you just can put it in the bucket. and That will help them clean up. See, your meeting needs are ready. Isn't this easy? This is easy. Cool. All right. Let's pray before the buckets get passed and we'll continue in worship.